Convergence on a Winter Night by In My Own Little Corner "'Twas hours past curfew on the longest night of the year. The majority of Slytherin House was wrapped snug and tight in the common room. Perhaps they passed around a loving cup filled to the brim with steaming hot cocoa. Perhaps they exchanged charmed tokens meant to ensure good luck and goodwill for the new year, waiting in the wings. Perhaps they made each other laugh with quaint tales of daring do, or shiver with a ghost story or two. Whatever it was they did on that night, Severus Snape, huddled in a forgotten cell in the deepest part of the dungeons, could hardly answer for. He, like the few other half-bloods assigned to wear the crest of the Silver Snake, had been pointedly excused from the revelry. It had always been so. Longest night was for pure-blood fancies, and the half-bloods did well to remember it. Well into his sixth year of this nonsense, Severus had mostly convinced himself he didn't care about it either. Mostly. He scooted closer to the jar of blue flame he'd conjured, his ink freezing on the quill as he revised for the next day's arithmancy class. With a curse base enough to mark him as the working-class peasant he was, he wrestled with the jar's lid. His fingers tingled and burned as he wrenched it free and held the stubborn quill tip close to the flames. At this rate, it would take him all night to finish his damned work. The ink started to flow again, glopping into the jar and nearly smothering the flames, when Severus heard the shuffle of footsteps approaching the lonely room. With the reflexes of the hunted, his wand zipped to his hand and the lights around him extinguished. He knew well that the lateness of the hour would do nothing to protect him if Potter and his gang of miscreants had taken it into their head to stalk him. How they would love to find Severus in this tiny room, trapped in a corner, out of earshot of anyone who might be persuaded to even the odds. Not that Severus would have bothered to call for help. Golden Potter could do what he liked with Severus, and even the teachers would help hide the evidence after. He took a position alongside the door to wait, holding his breath, wand at the ready. The door groaned in protest as his assailant forced its rusty hinges to do their thankless job. Before the attacker had come fully into focus, Severus had grabbed him by the front of his jumper and slammed him against the wall in a blur of black and yellow. Severus jammed his wand against the boy's throat. The boy gave a momentary struggle, then relaxed, a sheepish grin spreading across his disgustingly handsome face. "'Don't shoot. I come in peace,' he said. Severus blinked through the haze of adrenaline, his brain slowly catching up to what his eyes were seeing. This wasn't Potter, but one of the seventh-year Hufflepuff prefects. What was his name? His badge was clipped to the front of his knitted jumper, which clung to his muscular frame as well as his jeans did. With his swoop of jet-black hair, dark eyes glinting with amusement, and flawless light-brown skin, he'd clearly bribed some fairy godmother to grant him more than his share of blessings at birth. I. Severus released the prefect and shoved his wand back into his pocket. I thought you were someone else. Brilliant, Severus. Now you're definitely getting detention. It's fine, the prefect said, straightening his jumper. I should have been faster. You might have been a boggart. Catching me off guard like that, I'd be in a right mess. Right. The prefect glanced around the room, in no hurry to finish things. 
Nice place. A little dank and dreary, but nothing a few blankets and candles wouldn't fix. Not likely. What in Merlin's name was he on about? You're Severus Snape. Have I got that right? Severus ground his teeth. So, Mr. Prefect was going to make him write his own detention slip and everything. Yes. Mr. Prefect flashed Severus a friendly smile, full of straight, white teeth. I'm Ted Tonks. I saw you in Professor Pruitt's dueling club last month. Brilliant use of Glacius. Potter didn't know what hit him. No, Potter hadn't known what hit him. But Severus had known it, when Lupin and Pettigrew had held him down for Potter and Black to pummel afterwards. If you're going to give me detention, could you just get on with it, and stop wasting my time? Some of us have better things to do than pretend to be friends with the whole bloody world. Detention? Tonks raised his perfect eyebrows. I wasn't planning on it. Aren't you a prefect? Shut up, Severus. What the hell is wrong with you? Aren't I out past curfew? Isn't it your job to write up infractions? Wouldn't want to lose your shiny little badge and your bathroom privileges. Tonks scooped up the now-empty jar from the floor and tossed it from hand to hand. It's longest night, and you're a Slytherin. If you're not in your common room, it's because they kicked you out. I'd be some kind of git if I gave you detention for something that's not your fault. Severus clenched his fists. I don't need your pity. I don't pity you. I pity them. They're so busy reminding themselves how special they are. It's clear they don't believe it. Keep your opinions about my housemates to yourself. There it is. The Slytherin Code of Honor. Tonks's eyes danced with laughter. Defend your fellow snakes to the death against the outside world, and destroy one another from within. There was a lightness in Tonks's voice, something warm and inviting, that teased when it ought to have infuriated. What a cynical view. Won't they revoke your Hufflepuff card for saying it? Being a Hufflepuff doesn't mean you're blind to the faults of the world. It means you see them, and love it anyway. Severus sneered. Pathetic. You know what's really pathetic? Rotting in this cell, when the whole world is waiting outside. Tonks tossed the empty jar to Severus. But we can fix that. Let's go, before some professor comes along and makes me do my job. Severus fumbled the jar, barely keeping it from smashing on the stone floor. I think I'd rather not. I've got a fresh pack of Madame Rosmerta's cigarettes. There's one with your name on it if you come. Tonks pulled the silver pack from his pocket. See? No funny business. Severus wet his lips at the sight of the pack. It had been weeks since his stash had run out. Unfortunately, the Geminio charm produced wretched copies of cigarettes. Disgusting trash not worth the flick of a wand. With the demands of his NEWT-level classes, Severus had no time left over to write essays for extra galleons. Treats like cigarettes and socks without holes were few and far between. Fine, he said warily. One cigarette. The brightness of Tonks's smile went forth like an army, eradicating the gloom, conquering the abyss of Severus's melancholia with its warmth. It was a smile to make idiots dream of the better things they'd never have. Tonks's step was brisk and jaunty, and he whistled off key as they made their way through the sleeping depths of the castle. Severus followed, glaring, as though his anger might protect him. The more beautiful the dream, the more evil the waking. 
Severus's stomach twisted into harsh knots as they went down the winding passages of the castle. While Severus had prided himself on knowing this labyrinth stone-cold, Tonks clearly had access to some deeper knowledge. The further down they went, the more certain Severus was that this was a trap that he'd walked into, with his idiot eyes wide open, dazzled by Tonks's ready smile and fit body. When Tonks left him bloodied and beaten in a broom-closet down here, Severus would deserve every last blow for his own stupidity. Just as Severus's sense of self-preservation had convinced him to turn back, a blast of chill winter air freshened the narrow passage they were following. They ducked through an opening clearly meant for creatures smaller than they, and were deposited on a rocky cliff overlooking the Black Lake. A soft, cold breeze troubled the Stygian surface of the water, sending it lapping at the base of the castle in a calming monotony. Overhead, the stars ripped pinpricks in the vast expanse of the sky. Framed as they were by the jagged outline of the castle and the dark, linear figures of the forest beyond, the stars seemed somehow closer to earth. Without the moon for competition, their fire shone fierce and cold, tracing the patterns Severus had tracked since his first night at Hogwarts had granted him access to their celestial light. In spite of Tonks's ambiguous intentions, Severus caught his breath, staring up at the heavens. While Hogwarts had brought him close to many wonders, sometimes he thought the best gift it had given him was this perfect sky. In Cokeworth, the stars were buried in a shroud of smog and artificial light, hidden ignominiously from view of the unworthy creatures scurrying beneath them. But here, far from the muck and grime and noise, Severus had first looked up and seen. I think the view here is even better than the one on the astronomy tower, Tonks said, holding out his pack of cigarettes. Severus plucked out a cigarette, his cautiousness momentarily burned away. That's ridiculous. The astronomy tower was built for viewing the stars from the best and most precise angles. Tonks laughed as he lit both their cigarettes with the tip of his wand. You've proved my point. The precise angles turn it into a clinical experience. All form, no substance. Up there, we map the star's course down to the last dot on the pre-made charts. Up there, the stars are nothing but burning balls of hydrogen and helium. But anyone who's really looked knows that's not all a star is made of. Down here, we can see them for what they really are, in all their magical glory. Severus drew the smoke into his lungs, trying to ignore the way Tonks's eager explanations set his heart racing. Twaddle and nonsense. Undeterred, Tonks gestured to the heavens. For instance, right there, we have Hufflepuffacus Magnus, and over there, past the Pleiades, is Serpent's Parvim. Severus snorted. I believe Taurus and Perseus would take issue with those names. I can see why you didn't make it to NEWT Astronomy. No, I didn't make it to NEWT Astronomy, because my parents don't have the money for me to take classes for fun. Tonk sat down on the end of the outcropping, letting his legs dangle in the air. Only core subjects for me. Healer training or bust. Severus arched an eyebrow. It was rare that one of his schoolmates admitted to any sort of poverty. I see. They were pretty disappointed when they found out having a magical son didn't come with all the gold at the end of the rainbow. And even more disappointed that I wasn't going to become the muggle doctor they'd been dreaming I'd be 
since I was in utero. He leaned back on his forearms, his eyes tracking the flash of a falling meteor. But who knows? Maybe they'll come around when they see how good I look in those lime healer robes. I could become the bloody Minister of Magic and my father wouldn't give a shit, Severus muttered as he sat down next to Tonks, careful to leave plenty of distance between them. Do you want to? Do I want to what? Be Minister of Magic. I've got the feeling you're one of those blokes who could do anything you like. Even though Tonks merely glanced at Severus out of the corner of his eye, the warmth radiating from his gaze was enough to dent the chill Severus wore as armor. Severus recoiled from it like a man avoiding a death blow. That's your bleeding Hufflepuff heart running away with your reason. Believe in yourself. You can do anything you set your mind to, etc., etc., etc. Most of us will reach the end of our lives having done nothing of consequence, and with less than a handful of people to mourn us or remember. Severus took a long drag off his cigarette, letting the smoke vindicate him. Besides, being Minister of Magic is too much bother. Better to be king-maker than king. You're right, Tonks said thoughtfully. Most of us won't live the kind of life that gets written down in the history books. I'm usually fine with that. But sometimes, when I look up at these stars, I can't help but think about the audacity of the people who named them. What kind of hubris does it take to look at eternity and try to name it? To say, I, this little ant of a person, this particle of primordial sand lost in the ocean of the universe, call you Andromeda, and you Orion, so mote it be. And all the other little particles of sand down here have been calling that piece of eternity by the same name, right down to us, two more particles of sand, calling the stars by those impudent names that changed everything. I guess that's why I like to name them myself, because if all those other little particles of sand could do it, why can't I? Tonk's quiet conviction held Severus spellbound. In the starlight, punctuated by the red glow of their cigarettes, Tonks was a fairy tale creature, a nymph of the forest that a satyr like Severus pursued but would never catch. Except now, Tonks had closed the distance between them. As he spoke, his face alight with the wonder of being alive, he leaned his shoulder against Severus's, and his infernal warmth dented Severus's armor to breaking. Malulum Terre, Severus said, nodding curtly to the Orion Nebula. Little Potato? Tonks asked with a teasing smile. Severus cleared his throat. If it wanted a name like Philosopher's Stone, or Balm of Hermes Trismegistus, it shouldn't have looked like a potato. No, no, I like it. Malulum Terre. It fits nicely. They sat shoulder to shoulder, watching the stars as they smoked through the rest of Tonks's cigarettes. At some point, Severus renewed the blue flames in his jar to keep them warm, though in truth, the flame of Tonks's too big heart did a better job of the task. When the pack was empty and their necks were stiff with gazing upwards, they helped each other to their feet and went reluctantly back into the castle. Tonks took Severus in yet another direction, leading him to an unfamiliar intersection that ended with a rune-covered door. Listen, I shouldn't tell you this, because you're not a Hufflepuff, Tonks said, so I'm trusting you to keep it to yourself. This door will take you wherever you want to go inside the castle. All you have to do is trace the runestone and say your destination out loud. 
It's a handy shortcut if you want to avoid some of those Gryffindors once in a while. Severus's cheeks flushed. You don't know me. How can you possibly trust me? Tonks's gaze was level and unflinching, like he saw something in Severus that no one else ever had. You've fooled the rest of the world, but I can see you're a prince at heart. Hardly, Severus tugged at his sleeve, unnerved by Tonks's too keen sight. Seriously, if you need a break, use the door. And Severus? Tonks. Maybe you could show me how you work that Glacius spell next week at Dueling Club? If you want. Tonks clasped Severus's shoulder. Good night, Severus. It was good to finally talk to you. Severus swallowed hard, fighting to catch up to his skipping heart. Good night, Tonks. Ted. It's Ted. Such a small syllable to contain so large a soul. Good night, Ted. They parted ways, each heading back to his own part of the castle, two particles of sand lost in the universe, who, for a moment, converged and traveled together. Thank you.